Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to a Thursday Buckeye Talk, getting this one to you a little bit later in the day, because guess what? Football started. Doug Lamarice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We were all out at Ohio State's first practice of the preseason on Thursday morning. Watched about half an hour. I said stretching and then five, five minute periods or four or five minute periods. So we got to see guys in pads. No, not in pads. We're not in pads yet, right? We got to see guys doing stuff. And then Ryan Day came in and talked to us for about half an hour. So just so you know what this is, this is going to be what we saw and what we heard. Buckeye talk. Um, Nathan, football's here. A lot of this early stuff is like, who's out there? Who's hurt? Are guys playing the position we thought they were playing? A lot of it is just confirmation. But after the offseason desert of no eyeballs on stuff, even that has great value, does it not? It does. It, it, it's a bit of a revelation. And we obviously got an early update on things like injuries and stuff from Ryan Day just last week. It was just We were just in Indianapolis, and he's telling us that really everybody Mitchell Melton's going to be around, and that proved to be true today. So there was really no surprises on that side of things. And other than maybe like one obvious example that we'll talk about maybe a little bit later, there wasn't a lot of you know moving around, position changes that was going on. But I, to me, I just like being out there and being like, oh, man, I forgot how big JT2 and Malowau is. I haven't seen yeah. him in a while. And then Zach Harrison walks over next to him. I'm like, oh, my God, that guy's like a water tower. Like, these are some massive guys, and it's fun to just watch football again. Nathan mostly kept his eyes on the defense. I tried to help a little bit with that because I have binoculars, and defense can be a little more complicated with stuff. Steven kept his eyes on the offense. So, Steven, let's start on your side of the ball. We'll run through first what we saw before we came in and talked to Ryan Day. Steven, a lot of people wondering, asking. Ryan Day has talked about this a lot. The offensive line, especially the second-team offensive line, right? No surprise on the first team. As you try to watch, again, when we reference this stuff, everybody, to get everybody back in the groove of like how this works, we don't get to watch 11-on-11s. We are not watching actual football being played. We're watching positional drills. But during those positional drills, there's an order to things, often. And the order is not random. 
They don't put the walk-ons up first. They do stuff that matters. So you can get a vibe for things. And Steven, obviously that first team offensive line vibe is Paris Johnson, left tackle, Donovan Jackson, left guard, Luke Whipple at center, Matthew Jones at right guard, and Dewan Jones at right tackle. We all know that. What was the second team offensive line vibe as you watched that on Thursday morning? All right, so we have at left tackle, Zay Michelski. Okay. Left, left guard, Enoch Mamahi. Center, Jacob James. Right guard, Trey LaRue, which I thought was interesting because that's not a little dude in there playing guard. Yep. And right tackle, Josh Fryer. Josh Fryer, who maybe we think is like the sixth offensive lineman, maybe even Enoch Vamahi in that mix too. And again, Zen Machalski is somebody that Ryan Day brought up last week. You also noted something else, Stephen, in the text that you sent out on Thursday yeah. morning. And by the way, everybody, great time to be a texter. Nathan and Stephen were firing away. Boom. Thumbs on fire. Woo! The young offensive linemen are all tackles for now and you even asked Ryan Day about that but let's talk about that idea again who they are and what we think that means yeah we talked a lot about the lack of especially tackle depth on this team and so when they split up in the two separate groups the tackles and then the interior guys the interior guys Luke Whipler, Donovan Jackson, Matthew Jones, Jacob James, Trey LaRue, Enoch Vamahi and then also which were the two deep but then the two ad- additions are Ben Chrisman and Grant Tuton which okay. Tuton's another big dude who's playing interior which is a little interesting to me but then the tackles it's Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones and then Zin Machowski, Josh Fryer, Tegra Shabola, Carson Heinzman and Avery Henry and Heinzman, Shabola and Henry are the three true freshman on this roster. So you take those guys out. And I think I joked with somebody, if you take, if you just looked at the tackle group, there are only three guys who actually physically look like tackles and it's mm. Paris, Dewan, and then Avery Henry. Cause he's so big, but yes, all the true freshmen are starting out at tackle. And if you take them out of the group, you really see how much depth they don't have at tackle right now. It seems like twofold the way it was talked about. One is, I mean, we've got to have somebody at tackle. Everybody knows that the tackle depth is not necessarily there. And then the other thing is, and we've talked about this a lot, well, you start them out at tackle, you start them out on an island, you start them out there where they've got to deal with edge rushers and they're blocking Sawyer and JT and Zach Harrison in practice. And then maybe just like Paris Johnson moved inside last year, just like Thayer Munford moved inside last year, maybe you move them inside and they're not as much on an island and actually – you know, you start them out and you slide them in. Nathan, that is this strategy? Is this desperation? Why do you think we have the three freshmen at tackle right now? Because they've got to find more tackles. I mean, they've yeah. really backed themselves into a corner. <laughs> they've got to find out if one of these guys can capably be a tackle because whatever they figure out as far as a starter, it just kind of the domino effect falls. And there, there's going to have to be depth at, at tackle next year, too. And I think as, as we've looked ahead, it's hard to really even see that, right? I mean, that's almost the crux of the problem. We don't look at next year's roster and think who is even like a capable left tackle necessarily, let alone. Now, now Michalski could be that. Michalski was maybe the, the wild card there. that, And, and it was, it, I think, important for Ohio State fans to start hearing that he's, you know, making moves and things like that. Um, it's interesting, though. I wondered about Trey LaRue also being at right guard, though, on that second group and getting as many reps as he did, because as Steven said, that's not a small guy. I mean, Trey LaRue is, was listed at like 6'8", 350 coming out of high school. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what he is. I don't have my roster still in my bag. But massive well, human being. As well. 
a massive human being and we were well prepared for this podcast. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, I, I sort of wonder if that gives him an edge over other guys who are even fighting for reps at guard right now, because they want to get him as many reps as high as possible, because he might have to be part of the guard, the tackle solution next year. He is listed at six, seven, three fifteen. Woo. I don't think like, like tall tackles, good, like tall guards, not great. So um, it's, it's interesting to watch these guys move around. And I do think a lot of what they're doing is by necessity right now. We can pretend it's some master plan, but like they just don't have the bodies at tackle because of the tackle recruiting, which we've talked about a thousand times. Yeah. And ironically enough, it just works out both ways this time. Maybe that is the case. And that's Justin Fry's philosophy to start guys out of tackle for some of the reasons you just named. You want to get him on an island. You, especially in this offense that likes to throw the ball around now, you got to be able to pass pro. And the best way you do that is starting guys out of tackle, just like an edge rush, defensive line you start on the end, defensive back start on that corner, but you eventually move them around after that. But also this year, there is the added bonus of these guys might not move inside <laughs> ever yeah. because yeah. they can't actually move inside, even if that's the plan with Justin Fry to do this. So we got to watch a little bit of practice Thursday morning, Friday morning. Again, we'll get to watch a little bit of practice. There are two more practice windows scheduled for later in camp. I do think Zen Machalski is one of the most interesting guys, maybe on the whole roster to watch of like who kind of matters now and who might really matter for the future. That's the thing with this offensive line stuff. Cause people do bring up justifiably all the guys who were not huge recruits who went on to be great players. Pat Elfline is a great example that people like to cite. And so I do think when you bring in maybe five or six offensive linemen who are just lower in the recruiting rankings, I mean, you're not going to go five for five or four for five or three for five, but you can go one or two for five and, and you kind of need to. It's not unreasonable to think, well, a couple of these lower rated guys will pop. They'll either develop great or they were already good athletes and they were underrated or they played at a small school or whatever. So Zen Machalski, who Stephen, was he a Kentucky commit before Ohio State flipped him or Iowa State? State. So that was one of those, right? Like later in the process, maybe they missed on some other guys. You come back to a guy, you flip him. Could very well work out. So I think that's a, a guy that is definitely worth keeping an eye on um, for now. No, because sorry. Louisville. Louisville. Okay. Yeah. He, he might be their third or fourth. Like he might be a second string tackle like right now, but he also might be very much part of the solution for the future. So that's tackle tight end. Ryan day was like, Hey, good depth. Steven, what did we see at tight end? And I did, he did get a question. People seemed eager to see how G Scott, who is now in year two of the transition from receiver to tight end, what he looks like, does he look like a tight end? What did you think of the tight end group getting eyeballs on them? First of all, my favorite thing Ryan Day does is when somebody asks him about a specific player and he doesn't have anything good to say about him, so he makes it more about the group. Because he did get asked specifically about G. Scott, and the exact quote was, he went straight to, yeah, G. Scott and Kate Stover and you know Joe Royer. Yeah, that 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 had it basically said that cha- that group has a chance to have some good depth right there, but they've got to build, they've got to grow. It'll be it's a really important three weeks for those guys. But he didn't actually answer the question of how is G. Scott looking. He just made it a tight end thing. They're all out there. It's yeah. it, there is depth. It's just you know not proven depth right now. Cade uh, Stover went first in most of the drills when I was peeking over there, followed by Joe Royer, followed by G Scott, and then obviously Rich Rossi working in as well, and then Sam Hart and Bennett Christian. So it's a lot of bodies. It's just not a lot of proven bodies. But 
physically they all look the part now, which wasn't the case a year ago. It is interesting, Nathan. There are some position groups as we eyeball them where you say, huh, they don't have a lot of guys at that spot. That That is not the case at tight end. They do have a lot of guys at that spot. We just don't really know much about about any of them. So again, it's a group worth watching. But G Scott is such a wild card in this situation of like, if he takes to this and it's like, holy moly, it's a guy with top 100 recruit receiver skill, who's playing tight end now, who's physical enough to block so you can play him as a real tight end, but then have mismatches. Whoa, mama, that's something we don't know if that's going to be the case. But how important do you think it is like eyeballs on that group? Is this a big deal, Nathan? I think it's a big deal that they find a second person that they really trust. It seems like they trust Stover and he played there pretty extensively last year. They wanted to move him back there for a reason after he had this flirtation with linebacker. But I, you got to have a second guy. You don't want to be in a situation where Stover something happens and now you are really throwing somebody to the wolves and you're you're, you're presenting a vulnerability in your offense. All right now, I don't think we look at tight end as a strength, but I don't know that we look at it as a vulnerability. We think Stover can probably hold his own as you're analyzing this offense and do what it needs, but you don't want that to become a vulnerability of, of some kind in the running game or pass pro or whatever without taking into the receiving. So. Uh, that's something that I'm kind of keeping an eye on over the course of camp is like when we get to see something more dynamic from the tight ends or just from the offense in general, uh, Joe Royer, G Scott, those are really the two guys. Like, what are they looking at? Or is maybe Bennett Christian is already as even as a true freshman, does he stick his nose in there? I don't know. But I want to see that second person who looks like they're a Big Ten tight end or uh, uh, actually that's not even fair. It really needs to be a tight end that it's a we should judge it by every other category, any other position. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of a level above that even running back, Steven. We know Trevor Henderson's the guy. Again, we've talked about this, the Mayan Williams, Evan Pryor situation, I think is of, of great interest to everybody eyeballs. What did the running back room look like? Yeah. When they did the QB running back pairings, it was Stroud and Trey, which no one's shocked by Kyle McCord, Mayan Williams, and then Devin Brown worked with uh, Evan Pryor, which was not the case in the spring. And some of that is because you were probably trying to rest a tray because you only had, what, three scholarship running backs in the mm. spring. And so you would see a lot of times CJ would work with Trey and Mayan Williams. Now the three quarterbacks just get a running back. And then Dallin Hayden is probably is working with the walk-on guys for right now. It, it, I mean, with the reps and situations, that's the order. It was Trey, Mayan, and Evan Pryor. There was really wasn't a way to see if it was like, okay, it's Travion getting more is Trayvon getting more and then like Mayan and Evan Pryor are splitting things because we didn't see 11 on 11 stuff. We didn't see a lot of together stuff where you could actually map that out, but that was the order. And so, and that's maybe the expected order we thought would be on day one coming out there is Trey first, Mayan second, Evan Pryor third, just based on how things have gone the past year. We did hear Dallin Hayden, Dallin yeah. Hayden on the mic, Quinn Temple, who's the staffer, who's constantly talking into the microphone at practice all the time, yeah. saying four to six, A to B. Great job. Great job, J.K. Johnson. Looking good. Chip. Hey, Chip. I, right. It's just like a constant running commentary of keeping the juices flowing. So, Nathan, that's always one of those like, hey, Dallin Hayden, Dallin Hayden. That's a new guy. Who knows what Dallin Hayden's going to be? But he's the freshman running back in this group. And they said his name on the first day of practice. You watch these practices with your ears as much as your eyes. Not as much as, but you have to watch with your ears. Buckeye talk. Uh, receiver. So there is a particular receiver point that we'll save because it is, I think, important and interesting. Eyeballs 
those Stephen eyeballs. What did you see? How was it broken up? Drills, it's harder to tell. I was really yeah. hoping that I could do the backwards walk 11 on 11 as we're getting kicked out. So I could have seen the starters that didn't work today because they didn't really go into 11 11 when we were leaving. I don't know what they were going into, but it wasn't that. So as of right now, I mean, Jackson went first and every Joe, cause he's Jackson. And then in some order, Marvin probably went second most of the time, but it was in some order, Marvin Harrison, Julian Fleming, Emeka Buka, Cam, Bab, Jaden Ballard. I don't think that much mattered as much because they're not all playing the same position within that position group, but it's almost a TBD with the who's the starter right now between Julian and Emeka at Z until we get a, another chance to do the backwards walk. So let's save. I want to have a conversation about that, but let's do this here now. Okay. Just confirmation a lot. Again, we're just double checking on a lot of stuff. And I kind of like to be the, the clown sweeping up the elephant poop at the end of the parade. I like asking my questions really late uh, in the press conference to try to fill in the gaps of maybe whatever. Don't you see a parade? There's a guy you have to sweep up. That after. Was so you could have literally just said you'd like to be the closer and it'd have been so much more normal. No, I like what? people to imagine me in clown makeup with a big broom cleaning up death poop. What parades okay. were you <laughs> attending in Eastern Pennsylvania where they had elephants just like walking down Main Street? Did Maybe you grow horses. up in Calcutta? Maybe. Maybe horses, I guess. Okay. We were at the state fair. I went to the state fair on Wednesday night. They have camel rides at the state fair. And I saw Cato Mitchell. I don't know if Cato Mitchell listens to Buckeye Talk, former walk-on receiver at Ohio State. He was there. I said hello. We saw, saw the biggest rabbits I ever saw. Rabbits the size of dogs. Just unbelievable. And we saw a cow that had given birth. We were like, is that cow baby like 15 minutes old? Because there was some evidence remaining in the cow birth. pen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, Doug said poop. And then it's like, Steve was like, after birth, just throw it out there. Yeah, <laughs> it was all over the place. So, um, so yeah, I like the State Fair. Steven, have you ever been to the State Fair? Plenty You're from of Columbus. Times. Yeah, I like the yeah, State Fair. Do you like the I, State I, Fair? I love the State Fair. It's like the one day you can eat as unhealthy as possible. Mm-hmm. They had, what? well, I that's not true Friday. at all. You okay. can eat as unhealthy as you want any day. <laughs> okay, fine. But, but there's only, I think what he's saying is there is only unhealthy options yes. at the state yeah. fair. That is true. A health nut's not going to the state fair for food. They had a a stuffed turkey leg on the day I went. Oh, one of the nice. Booths, and it was amazing. Nice. Yeah, no. So it's I, a, I, I feel a heart attack. Did you take your baby Crazy. to the fair? I no, I so I grew up on kind of the other side of the state in Illinois from the fairs in Springfield. So I never went to that one. I did go to the Indianapolis one though, but I think I only went. I don't know if I ever would have gone, except that my now wife wanted to go there and get deep fried Oreos. Yeah. Mm. That's how it is in Columbus. You can go that. I had a deep fried nutter butter and a deep fried buckeye uh on Wednesday night. They were good. Deep fried nutter butter sounds amazing. I love nutter butters. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it's, it melts the, and then my daughter, my daughter's favorite meal is steak on a stick at the state fair. So she had that for her appetizer. She had it for dinner. Then she had it for dessert. She was like, Oh, what do you want for dessert? It's like, I want more steak on a stick. So she was very happy there. So uh, we enjoyed the state fair and um, no idea, no idea what I was saying before the state fair came into play. Oh, we're talking about me being a clown in a parade. Yeah. Yeah. So I asked about the health of Cam Bab as like the very, very last question in the press conference, just to jump to double check, Nathan, because, right, we saw Cam Bab in the spring. We talked to Cam Bab. This is a guy who's a top 100 recruit. He is one of the emotional leaders of the team. 
There is no doubt about that. People talk about what a great guy he is, but we, and he, he's physically, he's imposing, right? He seems to have it all um, except health, except good health to stay on the field. But we saw him in the spring, but then we did not see him like at the very end of spring. Right. And it was like, Oh no, like, here we go again. So it was just like, Cam Babb, good to go, 100%. And Ryan Day said, yes. So here we are, like, just final, 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 Nathan, confirmation of maybe we'll get the Cam Babb experience, which, again, we do not know what that looks like. But, man, it feels like there really could be some upside to it. Yeah, maybe. Jackson Smith and Jigba had said last week at Big Team Media Day, I'm pretty sure I texted it out at some point, that he was saying good things about Babb, too. And and it, it I always, you always have to give it kind of that caveat of like, well, everybody has always talked him up, but we still haven't seen it with our own eyes. And I think that it would be really nice this uh, fall camp to get to opening day with people being uh, enthused about him because of things he was actually able to do through fall camp, like getting ready to play Notre Dame. What did he do that looked good? Yeah. They do talk about him. Like he's the most talented receiver in the room. Sometimes like I remember, uh, CJ talking about a catch Cam Bab had where he was literally parallel to the ground and caught it. And it's like, how are you still all that that athletic and you have no ACLs? Yeah, which is impressive in its own right, but it's yeah to the point. Yes, let's get through fall camp. It's almost a one step at a time thing with Cameron Bab before we start talking about football, which sucks. But that's you know that's the life he's living. He has ACLs. They just came from somewhere else in his body or a cadaver or something else. They aren't his original ACLs. And again, not the original, original ones either. He's had two torn ACLs in both. Johnny Dixon had such knee problems. He thought he was going to have to medically retire. And then after that, he became like a, like a, a guy that was tearing defenses up. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, who, who was a a real contributor to Ohio state. That is a, that's a tough thing to anticipate, but the idea it like this, this was a step, right? Yes. It's a, it's a process for Cam Babb, but getting to the first day of camp in August and he's on the field, ready to go hundred percent. I think Ryan day did knock on the wooden podium when he said that mm-hmm. like that's that matters. Like it, nothing happened this summer. So good news on that front. It adds real you know, even more depth to a receiver room that doesn't really need it. But, man, it could be an interesting wrinkle. Quarterbacks, we probably can save the conversation. Nothing new to report, Stephen, right? It's Is McCord clearly the two and Devin Brown's clearly the three? From what I saw, yeah, it's Stroud, okay. McCord, Devin Brown. And okay. That's not changing. So let's save the conversation because, again, uh, there was a question asked of Ryan Day that we can get to. So we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll run through what our eyeballs and our earballs, as Nathan Baird says, what our earballs told us about the defensive side of the ball next. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Again, you guys can be texters at 614-350-3315. We'll be out there Friday morning doing this again. So if you want to sign up now, if like you listen to this on Thursday and sign up, you just go to your phone and on your phone, you you send a text to 614-350-3315. You get a link back to sign up. It's a two-week free trial, so you can do it for free and just see what it's like. Oh, I wonder, wonder what, it's, what, what do these guys text off of practice? And what do they text? Because on Friday, we'll be talking to Tony Alford, running backs coach Tony Alford, and the running backs, which we assume will include Trevion Henderson, Mayan Williams, and Evan Pryor. So, Nathan, let's start defensive side of the ball. Eyeballs on the defensive line. And maybe do you want to do you want to split it up? You want to go ends first? Let's go ends first. What did you think your eyeballs told you about those rush ends? Yeah, you know, I already mentioned the um, just proportionally how impressive those guys are when you see them again. But that, I guess that's not uh, anything new. You know, when we first saw a glimpse of the line, it looked like the first guys that went through that group were uh, the veterans. So you had Harrison and. Um, on Friday. Friday out in front of that group. And then the next time I saw them line up and it was time to start, it was Jack Sawyer and Javante Jean-Baptiste. So I, I, I'm not putting, I did text that out and I, we texted out a lot of things on defense as far as like guys who were going through in what order. And it sounded like what we saw from the safeties and the backers made a lot more, maybe it was more impactful than what I was seeing rotationally with the d- defensive ends. But it's also been, you know, it was good to see um, you know, get your first glimpses of some of the other guys on that defensive line, the, the young guys, the um, Amari Abor and Kenyatta Jackson and 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 just the, the, the guys who are coming in for the first time and, and getting to see them mix in. Tackles, a bunch of them. And again, a, a very sort of interesting breakdown between like Jerron Cage and Teron Vincent as really veteran guys. And then Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams as really young guys. And then some guys in between any vibe or is it just a big bunch of like six, seven defensive tackles just rotating through doing their thing? Yeah. I mean, today it was just a lot of the, the very standard Larry Johnson drills that that guys were, were running through, Um, you know, Ryan day did was asked specifically about Tyleek Williams. And I thought talked about him and, and I, I thought a way that we've sort of been talking about him, which is, uh, they love the potential that they've seen, the flashes that they've seen, and they recognize what it can mean from a pass rush standpoint. He wants more from a run stopping standpoint, which is going to be so critically important to this defense. And let's not make any mistake, like guys who can get to the quarterback are going to play. But I think to be the leader of this rotation in snaps, he would have to make a make some progress as far as stopping the run, at least from the way that Ryan day talks about it. And I don't think that necessarily comes as a shock. Now, he did also say some other good things about him, though, how he has gotten his body right, lost some weight in the offseason. And he you know, he had talked about that himself, like coming in as big as he did last year and having to work his way through a freshman season like that. It's possible that as good as he was last year, you're going to see just a, another level from him this year athletically if he's gotten his body in a, a better place. I would I just also recommend. Go ahead, go ahead. I think the words he used were competitive stamina. Which right. is a good uh, one of his favorite phrases, but it seems like a particular usage for a player like this, Stephen. That he mm-hmm. said he flashes, mm-hmm. 
And it almost felt like a challenge of, hey, we know you're good, but we need you to be in 100% shape and consistent so we can play you as much as we want to play you and as much as you want us to play you because flashes are great, but you've got to do it all the time. I don't, I don't want to say it was a challenge by Ryan Day, but it felt like the thing that, again, I always am listening for of, he he had enough. It wasn't negative, but it was like mm-hmm. you can sort of tell Ryan Day thinks this guy has a chance to be really good, but I want to push him when I talk about it. Consistency has been like a theme because uh, he said it a bunch during Big Ten media days as well when talking about this team. is It's cool to flash, but if you want to win, if you want to beat Michigan, you want to win a Big Ten championship, you want to win a national championship, you've got to do it consistency, consistently. And that means different things for different people. With Talik, it just means you can't get gassed after two snaps. Because we can't keep pulling you off the field. You got to want to just be out there. And we have to trust that you're going to be able to just be out there because then you can stop the run if you're not. I mean, Talik said it himself in the spring. It was the fact that he couldn't even get through uh, winter workouts because he would get gassed two minutes into the drill. That can't happen, you know, in the third quarter against Wisconsin when you're trying to stop a drive. It was an answer where he seemed to be saying, you guys are talking about him this much and you need to be talking about him this much <laughs> you know what i mean like a notch down like he he's he's this good but he he's yeah there's more that needs to come to be the kind of player that um is is starting to you know he's a guy that's getting a lot of attention in this program for good reasons mm-hmm. but also that it's it's not completely there yet and i do think every time ryan day is talking to us he's talking to us he's right. talking to the fans and he's also talking to the players. So he is reminding Tyleek well, Williams of, you've got a lot in there, man. You've got a lot in there. Let's just make sure you show it because we believe in you, but let's get after it, right? So, yeah, it's like Steven said, you ask a question specifically about G. Scott, and he names every tight end since Ricky Dudley, but doesn't really tell you what he thinks of G. Scott. And maybe there's <laughs> yeah. something in that. Like, I think there is a lot of that going on. And just again, so people know. So two things I want to say. One is, like Ryan Day said, well, I have to go watch the film because they film practice and they go watch the film and practice. Like he right. comes from the field to the podium and it's like, hey, Ryan Day, uh, were you able to watch all 110 players all at once for the entire practice? And he's like, no, I don't know. But he can't actually say that. Right. So it's 110 players. There's another 10 walk ons. You can only have 110 for preseason camp. So there's 110 guys who were out there. Um, so some of the answers, they get more developed over the course of preseason camp and a lot of what he's going by today is what did they learn in the spring what did he hear from mickey marotti from summer work as workouts and that kind of thing so he can't watch everything all at once the second thing is we have not driven the bus for anybody yet and i think we're going to get on the bus next week so if you guys as we're given little tidbits hey ryan day said this hey we saw this maybe you want to figure out who's driving your bus i don't actually know is it that you're picking someone that you want to be on their bus and they're driving or are you driving a bus and you're going and picking up Steven? Like, a, Hey, I'm the bus yeah. driver and you pull up yeah. to the stop and it's like, Hey, Mayan Williams, get on the bus. Right. Yeah. The that- name of the, the name of the bus is a certain player and you're driving it. So it's like, you're driving the Kyle McCord bus or the Talik Williams bus or the George yeah. Hancock bus. And it's like, come get on this bus with us. I think I'm going to take this bus over here. Cause this is where I think it's headed. Come with it's me. The bus- yeah, it's the bus to that destination. Yes. Of the, the destination of that player kind of arriving. Is yes. it is the player the bus? Though? I think the player is the bus, and the destination is his potential that you believe in. Or are we the bus and the play? Like, if it was, hey, let's play bus. 
would the player get on our backs for a piggyback ride or would we get on the player's back for a piggyback ride? Um, if we're getting on players' backs and I'm driving the bus with Dewan Jones, if they're getting yeah. on our backs, then I'm not. I call Jake Seibert. I call Jake Seibert. I call Jake Seibert. <laughs> so, yeah. You guys play bus when you were kids? It's like, hey, who wants to play bus? And then you just jump on each other's backs and be like, take me to the stop. Hey, everybody, I'm a bus. Okay. I didn't so, know that was a game. I just thought I it was know. just something you do just to be annoying. Hey, nobody kid. wants to carry people anywhere. Mom, would you go outside and please play bus? Um, that'll be next week. So if you want to take notes and think about it, get, get it in your head. We'll pick our bus people. You guys will pick your bus people. I think we'll do that next week. We'll have seen two practices by then and have a little bit of knowledge under us, but we don't want to have, as always, we don't want to have too much knowledge. Fuck. I talk like we don't want to do this the day before the Notre Dame game. It's like, Oh, who are you driving the bus for? It's like a uh, Travion Henderson. It's like, okay, well, no, no, that's not what this is about. You're trying to like guess a little bit. So we will have that ahead. All right. Defensive line, we've kind of covered. Linebacker. So, Nathan, it was like, uh, you know, you and I were both watching this group a little bit. Nine scholarship linebackers that we saw. I counted 11 in the group, and they sort of did work through in group of three, group of three, group of three. We don't know. And, and listen, it was four minutes of, of stuff. But as, as you watch this group, Jim Knowles was instructing the group. I think they had trash cans up. So you can see, right, it's like you're finding the gaps and like figuring stuff out. And they were doing a decent amount of stuff with three linebackers. Then a little bit later, they were doing stuff with two linebackers. We do just have to have in mind, this is a two linebacker, three safety defense most times. But Jim Knowles has talked about, well, in the Big 12, that's how it is. In the Big 10, we're going to play some teams. With what Notre Dame does, with how good Michael Meyer, Mayer is at tight end, like I don't, this may be an opportunity where in that opening game they have three linebackers on the field a decent amount of the time, Nathan. That doesn't mean they're going to rep that every single time in practice because they have to get ready for everybody. But that's a little bit of what we were seeing. Felt like three groups. What did we see? Yeah, I mean, it's not just Notre Dame there. It's you get Wisconsin four games yep. in too. I mean, it's it's a big priority early in this year. I'm I'm almost sure they're going to need three linebackers for that. Uh, but the rotations that we saw today, that you were the one picking this out. Um, group one, you had uh, Steel Chambers at Will, Tommy Eichenberg at Mike, Taraja Mitchell at Sam, which I think would be like the third linebacker position Taraja Mitchell has now played in a substantive way in his career if he stays there. <laughs> uh, group two, uh, Chip Trainum at Will, Cody Simon at Mike. Uh, and Paliyeg Neatote at Sam, and in Group Three, C.J. Hicks at Will, Gabe Powers at Mike, Reed Carico at Sam. Really, nothing there that I would constitute as a surprise, except maybe Mitchell, who's always been more of an inside linebacker, being out with the Sam group. But really, that's probably his maybe his only path to a role, a, a substantive role on the defense. So a year ago at this time, we thought Taraja Mitchell was going to be like a a starting linebacker who played a bunch of snaps the whole year. And by the end of the year, he wasn't playing. He is, he is an enthusiastic Buckeye. He has his clothing line that he's enthusiastic about, but he also is enthusiastic about being a member of this football team. You follow this guy on Twitter and he's like, Oh, you know, I'm thankful for camp to start. Like, I can't wait for this. And I do think he was a captain last year. He was a captain last year. There was a reason for that. I think this guy has a lot inside of him. It just hasn't translated on the field the way I certainly thought it might. I wanted this guy to play when he was like a sophomore. And this is year five, I think, right? He's class of 2018. And we're sort of wondering, does he have a role or not? Steven, I did think Taraja Mitchell kind of is the first guy up at Sam 
was kind of interesting because I know I talked to people talked to Reed Carico a bunch in the spring. I talked to Reed Carico for a long time in the spring. Reed Carico is like, man, I hope I could steal this, not steal, but like, I'm going to fi- try to find a niche. I'm trying to find a role for myself. I'm trying to find this Sam spot again, Taraja Mitchell. He could do anything, but him there, I, I don't know, Steven, maybe that's the, finally the right fit. I think it's situational because of who the opponents are. Yep. I don't know if it's the long-term Sam answer, but when you're talking about fit and runs and you're talking about Notre Dame and you're talking about Wisconsin, you almost always go older guy who at least knows what he's doing. And Taraja Mitchell was good against the run. It was just everything else he wasn't very good at, but he can be a bit of a thumper in there. It feels very minus the injuries, but just like the role he has. Justin Hilliard-ish, yep. where mm-hmm. that Wisconsin game was like, Justin Hilliard's going to play 50 snaps, and he might not play more than 15 in any other game that season. So in the pre-driving the bus thing, if you're going to tell me that Taraja Mitchell against Wisconsin and against Notre Dame and maybe Iowa, he plays 40-plus snaps in those games, yeah, I could believe that, but I'd also believe – he doesn't play more than 20 in any other game this season just because of what those styles of play are. I don't know in my time here covering this team, these three seasons now going into fourth, Justin Hilliard might have the greatest impact over playing time ratio. Yeah. In some ways, like he played some really huge snaps, important snaps against Wisconsin. He had to play late in that 2020 season in the Big Ten Championship game and some other big mm-hmm. games um, forced into action. And there were other times where he might as well not have been on the trip. Sometimes he wasn't. Like, I think he um, – or he got COVID at, at uh, Penn State, I think, after he already got there. But just uh, – I, I could see Mitchell having a similar thing where there's, like, two games this year where he's important, uh, but they're important games. Well, And, like, that, that would be quite – an improvement because I certainly thought it was possible that he just would not have any role this year. Cause I don't think mm-hmm. he's getting past anybody at Mike or will it's like, Where Oh, well, uh, Tommy Eichenberg, and Cody Simon and steel chambers and chip training interesting. And here comes CJ Hicks. I think this is his only chance to do anything. Um, he played eight snaps against Michigan. Right. Or no, he played. No, he played no snaps against Michigan. He played eight snaps against Michigan State. Like it's, uh, he played 79 snaps in the opener. He played 70 in week two. And then he played 67 in week nine. And no other game did he, like he played more than 40. And by the end of the year, like he, he didn't play. And so if he has a real role, even though if it's, even if it's a role that only exists like in three or four games, at least it's something. And, and I think you guys are right on with the Justin Hillier comparison. And I don't know if we were to come out today and it's like, Taraja Mitchell was like running with the threes. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been surprised by that. And again, the distinction of like one, two, and three, who knows, but there was a drill where he was standing next to the guy that they act like they can't have the defense without Tommy Eichenberg. And right over on the other side of Tommy Eichenberg was the guy who was the best linebacker on the team last year at the end of the year in steel chambers. And Taraja Mitchell was with them. So that's not for no reason. So I thought, Maybe that was my biggest takeaway because it like chip train them, Nathan, interesting, like second team. Will again on the mic, chip train them looking good. You know, heard that name. Hadn't really, you know, right. Guy to watch again, like on the list of guys to watch, maybe who, where are we 10 days from now when we see practice? I, I'm very intrigued. I remain intrigued by chip train them. 
transfer, making the transition from running back to linebacker. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I wrote something earlier this week where I talked about the distinction between having an answer at linebacker or having a solution at linebacker. Last year, there was always an answer as to who was going to start at linebacker, but they weren't really a solution to the linebacker issues that they had. This year, they've got to find solutions. Corners, six scholarship corners, which is not a lot. And this is just a reminder of that. You're running through stuff and it's like, hey, I'm writing down numbers. Who's that guy? It's like, oh, that's a walk-on. Hey, let's write down that guy's number. Who's that? Oh, let me double check the roster. Well, that's a walk-on. There's not a real distinction. I, I, Nathan, I couldn't make any distinction of anything, but it's a reminder of six scholarship corners and two of them are true freshmen, which is, that's like as many tight ends as they have. <laughs> like they have as many scholarship right. tight ends as they do corners. And three of them are sophomores. So it's fifth year senior Cam Brown and a bunch of young guys. Yeah. yeah. So let's remind people, Nathan, but it is kind of crazy. Yeah, super young group. And the one that I got like the least good look at just because of where they were working out and – um, the other things I was trying to watch, but we all know the deal here. And I think it, it, it it's going to become more apparent to us as we listen more to practice when they're, when they're talking about guys at on the loudspeaker. But when we finally get to see some drills and see where are Jordan Hancock and JK Johnson, as far as the, the pecking order right now, are they forcing the issue and taking a, a, a shot at getting onto a, a first string situation and really potentially sort of changing the look of the defense there? Yeah, no real read on that yet. It's Denzel Burke and Cam Brown as the guys that you think are the first two up. Then J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock. And then Jair Brown and Ryan Turner, the true freshman. And then kicker turned corner, Stephen. This is a story that could shake the very fabric of college football. We're not sure if it's ever happened. Nathan, do you, uh, do you want to? Is this not too a, hot? You want it? Who wants it? Everybody no, wants saying, it. I just Ooh, want to make hot. sure people, for people who didn't get the texts, this isn't a kicker who turned the corner. It's a kicker who turned into a corner or at least yeah. half of the time. Yeah. The rare CB slash K designation on the roster, which I, I would like maybe not since like the steel toed days of the, the head on kickers in the thirties or whatever. Yeah. It's like Lou Hinchman might've been a CB slash kicker or whatever. Nathan, when we did that 1930 well, rewatchable kind of stuff. Yeah. They're probably still calling them defensive halfbacks or something back then. Yeah. So, Stephen, we you asked about this. That's that's since we're talking about cornerbacks slash kickers, let's have the kicker discussion here too. It's Jake Seibert, who is in year three, yes. right? Who came as a scholarship kicker, and then Noah Ruggles came, and then Parker Lewis came, and Jake Seibert's still here. And Ryan Day was kind of like, well, he just kind of wants to get some run and see how he can help out. It is a little odd, but Stephen, they have a lot of kickers, but they don't have all their kickers yet, right? No, they don't. Noah Ruggles is here. I did see him doing some. St- whatever kicking drills that kickers do. I don't really know what kicking works. So I saw him with my own eyes. I didn't see Parker uh, Lewis out there. I keep wanting to say Parker Fleming. It's too many Parkers in the special teams room. And you don't remember, you don't remember Parker Lewis can't lose the failed. He does because he wasn't born show from the nineties. Yeah. It was like a Ferris Bueller ripoff, right? It's like the Ferris Bueller TV version. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, how about that kicker that? Yeah. So, yeah, I clarify with Ryan Day to make sure whether or not they had Parker Lewis eligible or not yet. They are still waiting on that. So as of right now, apparently Noah Ruggles is their only full-time kicker because Jake Seibert's doing corner stuff, which this is amazing. This defense, man, you've got running backs playing linebacker and you've got kickers playing corner. Let's let's say, though, listen, Jake Seibert, Jake Seibert got a scholarship to Ohio State. And he was a really good high school kicker. He was one of the best kicker recruits in the country. 
shout the out best kicker in the country in his recruiting class. Literally. Shout out for like, <laughs> hey, what can I do? Uh, he knows they brought in they brought in the guy last year. Now they brought in another guy this year, and they have three kickers on the roster, three scholarship kickers potentially, which like never happens. A lot of teams don't even have two. So Jake Seibert's like, where can I help? Can I get on the field? So Stephen, you said he played some receiver and some cornerback in high school. Shout out he to did. Jake Seibert for balling out, man. I mean, what the heck? It's weird. Nathan, CB slash K is weird, but it's strange. Good luck, Jake Seibert. And as much as like every one of the favorite things that people like to talk about with Kerry Combs when he was here was like him, like making fun of kickers for like not being real football players during practice. And so Jake Seibert's like, yeah, I am. Let's go. Let me, let me line up behind Jordan Hancock. Let's get after this. So in the group that Kerry Combs used to coach. Yeah. Respect. We made a big deal about, you know, the the numbers that Ryan Day assigned, how many he wants at each group. And I just can't imagine that he envisions six scholarship corners with especially how young they all are and three scholarship kickers as being right. optimum roster makeup. Correct. So what's that's bad. I mean, the 2019 class didn't have any corners and that's what's missing. Senior corners. And yeah. The 2020 right. corners, one left. flipped when halfway left and the other two left. So, yeah, you're missing 2019 and 2020 corners. Yeah, Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts, who both played a lot against Minnesota last year and would be veteran members of this room, are gone. And they didn't, honestly, right, they didn't really replace him. It's not like they added an extra no, corner just, recruit. They didn't get anybody in the portal. Like, they no, just they leaned that, into that, the young guys. That's that, that those are your that's your eight scholarship corners, and those two guys are gone, so I have six. So that's where they are. So you know, you only play in two. And again, the thing the thing I do think matters here is none of those guys are expected expected to play slot corner. There was a time where when you were looking at corners in the Ohio State defense, you're like, we well, you got to find three because Sean Wade's in the corner group, and then he's going to play slot corner, right? So that's that's not the issue. So that is now at safety, and Nathan, they do have a lot of safeties. Uh, I counted 12 in the safety group. And, and again, you can go pretty deep there of real dudes. The drill we were watching was they sort of backpedaled and then split and each caught a ball. Um, so it was two safeties at a time. So what did that makeup look like, Nathan? Yeah, and it's 10 scholarship safeties by my yes. count there right now. Um, the, the makeup there, the first group through was Proctor and Hickman. Second group through was Court Williams and Lathan Ransom. And the third group through was uh, Cam Martinez and Tanner McAllister. So a couple notes there. Lathan Ransom was uh, involved in all of the drills that we saw, which were, uh, Ryan Day said last week, probably not going to be in the team drills, you know, anything contact drills maybe early on, but was supposed to be a full go for everything else. That seemed to, to follow through. And then just that rotation there where you're looking at those first three groups, it seems to me like on paper, that looks like the first two levels of the deep safeties, like the starters and the backups, and then the top two nickels going through together. Um, and then group four was Jalen Johnson and Kai Stokes. Group five was Jansen Dunn and Sonny Styles, uh, one of the you know um, freshmen that people have an eye on. And uh, Jansen Dunn, I heard his name over the loudspeaker on a couple different occasions. So not just a thing where like they said his name back to back to back three times, which like like you were saying before, but like, over the course of a half hour, I think I heard it on at least two separate occasions, like he doing something in that group. I think that's an important thing for him. It's I don't know that it impacts 2023 at all, but it's a name I want people to keep in mind because we actually got a text about it after we did that whole breakdown of what the roster could look like in 2024. 
and where safety could be an issue. We had left off Jansen Dunn, but mm. he's a guy that could still be around by then mm-hmm. and could be sort of a veteran presence in that room if he sticks it through. I, I don't think that, that he's going to climb the depth chart this year, but it could be the same way we had talked about some older guys maybe sticking around and helping at some other positions. He could be in that mix at, at safety. So a couple of things. One, this is only year two for him, and he flashed right. last fall camp. He just got hurt in the Rutgers right. game, so it became even more of an out of sight, out of mind than it was for like Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom, who had maybe established some things. Two, so from how you pointed this out in both the text and on the site, you've got, I would say, the adjusters one through three are Hickman, Ransom, and Dunn in that order, and then the Bandits are Proctor, Williams, Styles in that order, and then it's. McAllister and then Martinez and the, there's just no third string. That's the only spot of the safeties that doesn't have a third stringer. Is that a fair assessment? I don't. Well, because then we're skipping over Jalen Johnson and Kai Stokes, who are also involved in that that deep group as well, right? I, I would think that maybe Stokes would be the adjuster group and yeah, Johnson would right. be with the Bandits. So I don't know who would be third string there, but they're deep. They're deep at safety now. Yeah. If that top group, if that top group comes through, and we think, I mean no reason to think Ronnie Hickman won't have another good year. We think Proctor can be solid. There's people who think that we talk about him like he's, you know, Ronnie Lott or whatever, but I I think he's going to be good. I mean, this is starts to become a potential strength of the defense. You can, you can envision that. Mm, yeah. And by the way, some court Williams confirmation. It's like, is he a starter? Is it complete and for, completely forgotten? It's like, no, he's an important backup at the moment, which is actually probably what he was all along. I just got Super excited early in camp. So Court Williams is sort of like probably that, right? That that third guy up at the deep spots, you know, Lathan Ransom's right there too. Like both those guys are really good. I mean, listen, if there was a world, if if Josh Proctor and Ronnie Hickman had both gone to the NFL and it was like, okay, the starting deep safeties are Court Williams and Lathan Ransom, I don't think we believe like Ohio State's national title hopes would be derailed, right? Which again goes to the depth that like, well, hey, Lathan Ransom, he missed a lot of time and Court Williams, they're both guys who have dealt with injuries, but we think there's something there, but they get to be backups behind two guys who have played a lot more. It's like, it's almost like really what you want a position to be, right? There's a lot of positions where they're not quite at that spot, but that this safety setup at the moment is pretty darn good. This is what rotate. If they rotate this, this is what rotating from strength would look like. Yeah, no, I think. Yeah, we think, yeah. we think. We think probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's eyeballs. That's eyeballs. What we saw offensively, what we saw defensively. When we come back, we'll cover sort of the most important things that Ryan Day said. What we gleaned from what he said. Next on Buckeye Talk. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay. 
Doug, Nathan, and Stephen. Again, 614-350-3315 for the texts. We certainly will take any reviews at Apple Podcasts. And I guess on Spotify, you can't leave a review, but you can leave a rating. So we'll take a rating, right? And we'll just take your honest rating. We're not going to beg for fives. We're not going to beg for positive reviews, but we want to know what you think. There are still, you know, there's some good reviews out there. There's some people who hate me. That's fine. But like, we want to know what's up. We want to know what's up. So if you've listened for a long time and you have a real vibe for the show and you've never shared a review on Apple Podcasts, like we'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. Julian Fleming, Nathan. Iron Buckeye. So it caught our ears when Ryan Day said it. We clarified exactly what that means. And I think maybe the Julian Fleming bus is going to have some more passengers after the way Ryan Day briefly talked about Julian Fleming on Thursday. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, you know, so he did a Ryan Day did a good breakdown because you asked for one and they've always been this is one of those designations they have that they always throw it around, but they never fully explain it. It's not like they put out a list of who made Iron Buckeye and uh, the way they do with the champions. And even the champions, they give us some guidelines, right? It's like 85% if you play you graded it, you, you graded at least 85% playing a certain number of snaps, which I can't remember. It's like 40 or 45, something like that. So they're, we, they've given us the guidelines for that, but they've never told us what Iron Buckeye is. I almost said Iron Butterfly there. I had to like quadruple check the piece I wrote to make sure I didn't say iron butterfly or iron buckerfly. Um, yeah, but butterfly it's, effect. So there's gold, red, and blue, and the, like gold standard, red, blue, gold's the best, and then iron buckeye is the best of the best. It's yes. it's this it's the he ba- he said that there's skill position, there's a uh, big skill, which we didn't clarify, but I think he probably means like linebackers. Tight ends, Cade Stover, uh, who's no, an yeah. no big, big. I would assume the skill is anything where you're not having your hand in the dirt. So the big men would be the line of scrimmage guys. Well, yeah, no, I'm saying big skill would be right. Big skill would have to be guys who aren't skill positions, right? And I assume that would probably include like corners and stuff too. But then big skill would be like the next level of defense, tight ends, those kind of guys. And then size mm. would be line. He did say size was alignment. Uh. Anyway. That 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 the iron butter, oh, so close. Iron Buckeye, Iron Buckeye is is you know it's our own fault for doing the Buckeye fly effect. I think that's also confused me here. Um, that the Iron Buckeye is the like guy who won at each of those positions. So it sounds like either Julian Fleming was either the one or one of the best at skill at the skill guys as far as what he did this offseason, as judged by Mickey Marotti and his staff. A lot of that is based off. I feel like physical ability. And I mean, that would mean either him or Cam Bab just physically looking at but, them. But but he didn't say necessarily physical ability. He talked a lot about accountability, about uh, you know, showing up and doing the work and you're always on time. And there's a lot of stuff about that that can be sort of coach speak. But I I think that there probably is truth to the people if you're on the borderline. If you're not so, if you're not like you think Chase Young could just, I know he put in a lot of work too, but guys like that that seem like beyond physical specimens, they're like from another planet and could just show up and dominate. But like if you're on a borderline of trying to win a job, trying to, I, I think that those designations probably matter there. And that's why sometimes we probably see, well, this guy, these guys look real close. Which one is higher on day one of camp? I think these grades probably have something to do with it. 
I think it's how you do in the weight room. I think it's taking care of business, being on time, being a leader, right? All these things that, again, Mickey Marotti in the offseason, the strength coach is kind of in charge because the head coach isn't allowed to be by NCAA rules. Although Ryan Day kept saying, like, there's more that they could do uh, as a team this summer. The NCAA kind of comes around on some of that stuff and realizing, like, what are we doing? Like, let, let the guys do what they need to do. So, to me, Stephen, like why it mattered is because like we're looking for clues with a guy like Julian Fleming. We have to look for clues because there's not a ton of direct evidence, not his fault. And this feels like a pretty big clue because even the way he said it, I think it was like, and Nathan, I don't, if you guys, I don't know if you have the transcript, like Julian Fleming is iron Buckeye. And Emeka Buka was gold, I think, and like really good. And then he almost, and like Marvin Harrison, he was good too, but it was a, not everybody's iron Buckeye, right? That, and that doesn't mean that Julian Fleming is going to play more than Emeka Buka or Marvin Harrison or anything. That's not what that means, but it's about like being on track and Steven, like you hear stuff like this and maybe it feels like, okay, like Julian Fleming's back on track. The nagging injuries maybe knocked him off track a little bit, but he just had a really good summer of 2022 and he's back where he wants to be maybe for the fall of 2022. Is that reading too much into this or do you think this is meaningful? Um, I think it's meaningful. I don't know if it's necessarily meaningful the way you're putting it. I think sometimes, especially with guys who have been hurt and have the expectations that they come in with, they can, especially heartline more than the other position coach maybe, They'll go out of their way to make because, you, like you said, they're talking to us, they're talking to the fan base, but they're also talking to their players. And they've gone out of their way sometimes to make sure they've talked about Julian in a great light. And I'm not saying they're lying or they're hyping him up. It's just, just like with Cam Babb, it was more of a like, okay, did he get through the first day? Yep, he got through the first day. Cool, knock on wood. Let's continue to see that. Julian Fleming's on track, and I'm not even going to say back on track because he might have had to wait this long anyway because Chris Olave was still here, and that's who he's been stuck behind. The injuries just added an extra layer to the, the excuse for why he wasn't playing, but it's like he's healthy, he's ready to go, and he's on track to do what we thought he would do here. Doug, the thing that you've asked Ryan Day at the end I thought was important, which was like, does this matter? Like, do you see a correlation between what these – summer workout these the way mickey Mirati labels the champions and what happens on the field and he said yes although he then said uh it certainly doesn't this is a quote it certainly doesn't guarantee you anything but it gives you a heck of a chance which is all that julian fleming was really looking for this season anyway it's a mm-hmm. chance that his body and this depth chart really haven't given him in the past i know that julian now jackson smith the jigbo did what he did and forced his way in there from the same class. So it's not like he was completely held back from a number standpoint. He probably could have won something in there, but, but his body was working against him too. This, the whole Julian Fleming story is in 2022, does his body and this depth chart, this roster finally both come together, sync up and give him an opportunity. And what hearing this about what his summer was is further indication that he's just on the right path there. Iron Butterfly is an American rock band formed in San Diego, California in 1966. They are best known for the 1968 hit Inagata Vida, providing a dramatic sound that led the way towards the development of hard rock and heavy metal music. Their music has found a significant impact on the international rock scenes 
influencing numerous acts such as Black Sabbath, ACDC, Rush, Alice Cooper, Mountain, Uriah Heep, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, and Queens of the Stone Age. Kind of would be better if he was an Iron Butterfly. Can this summer's Iron Butterflies? Although, as people know, I am afraid of butterflies. Yes, Stephen. I just want to say, I feel like that little four-minute segment of Buckeye Talk should just be clipped out and it should be promoted everywhere. Because if yeah. anybody wants to know what Buckeye Talk is, it's Doug asking us a football question, us answering the football question with these long soliloquies, and he comes back in with the nonsense. That is Buckeye Talk at its fullest potential right there. No, I think that's, I think we could win an award for that four minutes. Literally. The, uh, yeah, no, Nathan, you don't know I'm afraid of butterflies. They'll get you. He goes they're, right back to the bathroom. Get you with what? Their beautiful <laughs> wings. Cuteness? Their beautiful wings distract you from their creepy, crawly legs. And they're going to crawl on you and be all creepy and crawly. I've, I've had it happen to me. But I also have acknowledged that my fear of butterflies almost certainly goes back to the fact that with my seventh grade butterfly collection back in the day when science in middle school meant kill things. I don't think they do that anymore, but in the eighties, that's what you did. It was like, Hey, what are you doing? It's like, I'm murdering nature to learn about it. So I had to catch butterflies for my ex. It wasn't a butterfly collection. It was a full insect collection. Mm -hmm. So I had to catch a beautiful butterfly, put it in a jar with chloroform or whatever, kill it, and then stick a pin through it and pin it to a styrofoam board. And I thought I had killed the butterfly and I stuck a pin through its torso its abdomen and on the board, its wings started to move. And I was like, ah, and so I think they're looking for their re- revenge on me. And so if a butterfly with its beautiful wings, but it's creepy, collie legs lands on me, I think they're coming to get me. So I thought the Julian Fleming thing, and then Cade Stover also being an iron Buckeye, no small feet. Right. I thought that mattered. Um, when you're looking for little pieces of things that matter, Nathan, I thought one of the other things that mattered that Ryan Day seemed to note the fact that at Big Ten Media Days, when he talked about having a top 10 defense and we all, <laughs> I think everybody on the beat grabbed onto that. And he sort of like was responding to our coverage of the thing he said last week, which I always like find amusing because we had a discussion about like, does he mean expect, must, should, could? Will, like, what is the verb that he used with top 10 defense? And Nathan, like, he tried to almost, like, clarify that, knowing that it was a topic of discussion. Yeah, I mean, it's – I think what he ultimately was trying to say, it was a shorthand in some ways, that Ohio State is expected to be great on offense. It can't be expected to only be great on offense. It has to also be expected to be great on defense. Yeah. And, I, and in the end, he was like, top 10 on defense, top 10 on offense, top 10 on special teams. And if we do all that, then we'll be the team that we can be. And I said, it's like top 10 in, in snacks, top 10 in how good our field looks, top 10 in the fit of our jerseys, right? We want to be top 10 in everything. So I actually do think he meant it when he said it. I don't think, I don't think we misinterpreted him, but I just maybe think he thinks it was emphasized too much. But well, I think he's right. Like he believes the defense has to be not just okay, but very good. It, if you just read it and didn't necessarily hear it, like we had the privilege of doing, it's very easy to come off as like top ten defense or else, 
which is like not what it was at all. It was just him saying what he he expects the defense to be good. He just put numbers on it. So now we spent the past week putting a million headlines on it, which I'm pretty sure he saw some of those and said he's not yeah. gonna address this. But I don't think we were wrong. Well, no, I, I, well, no, I we no, no, we weren't. No. We weren't wrong. It's just I don't think we, we misinterpreted to... him. I don't think we Correct. misinterpreted him. Yeah, I, I think it's also maybe somebody pulled him aside and said like. Hey, just FYI, like Alabama's 2020 total defense, they were like 32nd in the country, and LSU's 20, 2019 defense was 30. Have you been in the Woody in the, in the past week like, and we didn't know about it? I'm just saying, I think somebody probably pulled him aside and said, like, you know, top 10, I understand what you're saying. He probably wants to make sure that he, people know that he knows that Ohio State with this offense doesn't have to have a top 10 defense in order to have a pretty great season yeah. and maybe even a national championship season. He was asked a question about Kyle McCord. Landis asked it. That led, I think, again, to an interesting answer. Again, all the things that you get asked one thing and you kind of answer another. Stephen, the idea was, okay, there's no quarterback competition. So what is the goal then with Kyle McCord? McCord's a clear two. He is between the Heisman Trophy favorite and a true freshman, right? He's not going to be one. He's not going to be three. What do you do with Kyle McCord? What are the goals with him in preseason camp? And Stephen... Ryan Day's answer was our main goal in the quarterback room is to get CJ Stroud game ready, which it's not like you have to spend a ton of time talking about the second string quarterback, but it was a reminder of like, we know CJ Stroud is great, but also we have to get him ready for Notre Dame. That is what we are here to do, which I thought is worth noting. Which is almost like, yeah, but he still needs, it's still something that needs to be said. You know, it's, it's only interesting because I don't, even with when he first got here, when it was clear that JT Barrett was a starter, it wasn't clear who the backup was yet between Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins. That was still kind of a thing that was happening. So this is really the first time in a while that Ohio State's had just an established one and two. So it is kind of interesting to go, hey, what's the number two doing this year? But yeah, this is not it's not really important to Ryan Day right now. What Kyle McLeod, it's we're getting CJ game ready, and then we'll get Devin and Kyle as many reps as we can after that. And, and I do think, again, he's speaking to everybody at once. He does not want to let it even 1% slip in. Not that he thinks it would, but no assumptions about C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud is not going to assume his way mm-hmm. through August. He is not going to assume his way to the Heisman Trophy or assume his way toward leading Ohio State to a national championship or assume his way to a win over Notre Dame. He's very, very good but he has to bust it for the next 30 days to make sure he's ready for a top 10 team and a pretty darn good defense in week one. And so Nathan, like it was like, it was almost like, we don't have, I, I don't know. We don't have time to worry about the number two quarterback that much because we have to make sure our super talented veteran first string quarterback does what he needs to do. Yeah. I wrote about that a little bit today that, you know, last year, that second game against Oregon. Well, really first two games, the game at Minnesota, but then obviously a second game at Oregon were these things that stuck out to them early in the season that really kind of defined preseason camp. But the Notre Dame thing is different. Like this is, it's not just a big 10 road game. It is a major national presence, a team that could be in the playoff picture, depending on how this schedule goes. It has been in the playoff picture very recently and all the hype that's going to be around this game. This is a different thing that's sort of looming there on September 3rd that this whole preseason leads into. So I think that intensity has to apply at quarterback as much as it applies anywhere else, even if you assume the floor is as high as it is at quarterback. 
Nathan, you made note of something that Ryan Day said that we were sort of talking about, well, what do you think he meant by that? I don't know. But the idea that he said this offense hasn't done anything, which is the 2022 offense. Yes, there are parts of the 2022 offense that were part of the 2021 offense, but this group has never played together, which is always true about every college football team every single year. Again, which he's talking to everybody all at once. What do you think he was trying to say with a comment like that? Well, some of it, as, as we talked about right after, is probably a little bit of coach speak. But I think I thought it was an extreme version of that. I think that's the way I texted it in the moment was to say that this offense has accomplished nothing. Well, C.J. Stroud was a Heisman Trophy finalist and Jackson Smith and Jigba had 12,000 receiving yards or whatever. And Trevor Henderson was at this amazing freshman year. And some of these offensive linemen are returning starters. But I think it's it's a reminder of the standards. It's If you're going to put if you're going to come out and maybe put the bullseye on your defense a little bit the way he did or or call them out the way he did, maybe that's not the right term, but I think people know what I'm saying, then you need to follow up the same way with the offense. You can't like let the offense think they're just coasting through this. And I, it's a reminder, too, that even though all those things I just said are true, really it's going to be a first-time starter in Marvin Harrison, even though he started in the Rose Bowl. This will be his first time with that identity. You have a first-time starter at the other spot on the receiver core. You've got Paris Johnson moving the left tackle, which is an absolute upgrade in his responsibilities with this offense. There's Matt Jones being a legitimate starter for the first time. Like There's all these little things. Donovan Jackson is going to be a second-year start on his offensive line. So there is, as much as there's talent here, as much as they even bring back things statistically, there's enough changing that it's probably healthy to give them that reminder that this group, the, the the cohesion of this group still is going to play its first game on September 3rd. The offensive hype is just because it has a built-in benefit of the doubt because of what we have seen. But yes, more than half of the guys we think are going to be important to this offense are new to what they're doing in some capacity. So it's Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, Travion Henderson, Luke Whipple, and Donovan, and Dewan Jones are doing the exact same thing they did a year ago. Everybody else is doing something new. And but uh, but then also it's like it's coach speak because like yeah he's not going to come out and say yeah our offense is the best offense in the country and it's August fourth that just doesn't it doesn't do anything and doesn't really mean anything. So it's it's a bit of coach speak, but it's also coach speak that is rooted in truth. All right. Last thing that I have, uh, um, and, and, and I like this, you know, what are good, helpful tidbits of information Our texts. I'm a tech subscriber. I'm reading Nathan's text right now on five-star freshman linebacker, CJ Hicks. It's almost, it almost looks like he's one of the guys that's been around a while. And uh, then to paraphrase, he's talking about not really looking at him as a freshman anymore because CJ Hicks was here for the spring. Nathan or Steven, excuse me. I want to just want to direct this one towards Steven. That idea, he talked about getting young guys game ready, right? Do we, do we, we'll be able to trust you against Notre Dame. Um, I asked Ryan day, a follow-up question about that. And again, you got to limit your questions and you try to squeeze everything in and you can't get to everything you want to ask. So I almost was going to put a Travion Henderson stat in a question about that. That Trayvon Henderson last year had two carries in the opener, 12 carries in week two, and 24 carries in week three. And as we look back, it's like, well, why didn't Trayvon Henderson, why wasn't he the number one back in week one? And I'm not saying Trayvon Henderson wasn't game ready week one, but I don't know if they were just giving the old guys the benefit of the doubt or if there really was like they didn't want to put too much pressure on him, whatever. But I think it's informative. And we've had this conversation about C.J. Hicks. 
what CJ Hicks week one, what is he week four? What is he week 10? What is he against Michigan? Right. We think there could be a progression there. I find preparing the young guys again, Steven, that threshold they have to meet mentally, emotionally, physically, all that kind of stuff. When I asked Ryan day about it, he did seem to start with the physical component. It's like, listen, cause I think it's like, if you're not ready physically, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Right. If you can't handle, if you're not strong enough, if you're not quick enough, if you're not flexible enough, if you don't have the awareness around you to make sure you're not going to get your your legs cut out from under you because you didn't look right, all of that. I think that's a primary component of that. But I remain in I, I would love to like dig into that more, Stephen. I don't know how you would necessarily, but the Travion Henderson path and could that be the path CJ Hicks is on? How do you take the idea of getting first-year guys game ready for week one. Do you think that's easy? Do you think it's difficult? What do you think the process is like? It's – I'm just going to use the word interesting because it's it's a case-by-case basis. But also, yeah, these are 17, 18-year-olds, but you're asking to go play against 21, 22-year-olds. So there is a physical component. And it's part of why more college coaches are being so pushy with the enroll early thing. And even Day said it today. It's – that's uh, TJ Hicks is a lot is basically a sophomore because he's been here for nine months already. So from a physical standpoint, he's already gone through some of that transformation that quite frankly, Sonny styles, who's going to have just as much hype doesn't have yet because he was right. being a kid who really being a kid. Cause he's, he didn't even turn 18 until November. So it's, it's the, there's already that advantage of it. No matter how talented a kid is, you can't just throw him out there. I think that's the that's the message they keep trying to give it to us. Even with, whether you're Trayvon Henderson, Garrett Wilson, C.J. Hicks, you know, um, whoever else, Paris Johnson on down the yep. line, there is a physical element of just development. Now the problem is Garrett didn't have this problem because Ohio State didn't play anybody the first six weeks of the season, so you could throw him out there a little bit more. Trayvon's getting here in the first two games of Minnesota and Oregon. C.J. Hicks is getting here the first game is Notre Dame, so it's like. We're going, why isn't the talented true freshman playing? Because you're playing Notre Dame and Minnesota and Oregon the first couple of weeks of the season. If they were playing Arkansas State week one, maybe you would be more inclined to just throw him out there because he might not. He's not going to get hurt playing against Arkansas State, and it's a little bit less you know, consequential if he makes mistakes. While against Notre Dame, if C.J. Hicks goes out there and has a freshman moment, it could cost Ohio State the game. Here's the other way, though, that it is – reminiscent of last year with Henderson because last year Henderson came in not only did he have the pedigree that he had and the 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 rating he had and all that stuff the guys ahead of him on the depth chart were you know a career backup really in Master Teague and Mayan Williams a guy who was a, another lower ranked guy had been an Iowa State guy late late in state flip all that stuff that's only the, that's the only people he had to jump to get up and be the starting running back. The two people that based on what we saw today, that Hicks would have to jump to be a starting will linebacker on this team were running backs this time last year. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, steel chambers yeah. and chip train could, could easily be versions of master TV and Mayan Williams, which doesn't yeah. mean they're bad players, but it means that the upside of the young guy behind them is just higher. And when mm-hmm. that young guy has the faith of the coaches and then is ready to show it, they might go there but we don't know when that might be. So it's almost like get through this Notre Dame game with what you know, even if it's not the highest ceiling, but they're at least proven. Steel Chambers, especially in some capacity, is pretty proven. And then let's ask this question 
you know, the week after that when it's Arkansas State and you're up by 40 at halftime. And so CJ's playing the majority of the second half anyway. And then let's ask this question. Um, yeah, because again, like he just, Trevion didn't really do much other than that 70 yard screen for a touchdown yeah. right at the end of the game. He played 13 snaps in the opener last year and he played 38 in week two, 42 in week three. Um, and he was playing 74 in week 10. That's how much things change for him. So we'll keep an eye on that again, getting young guys ready as part of it. Nathan, anything else that uh, we learned from Ryan day that we have not covered yet. That's kind of, I ran through the points I wanted to make. No, I think we, we covered it pretty well. I'm, I'm eager to talk to Tony Alford on Friday and, um, and the players themselves too, but just to kind of, especially hear how he talks about that running back situation behind Trevian Henderson and how he sees the mine Williams, Evan Pryor situation as camp begins. Steven, anything else? No, that's pretty much it. I think just keep watching. You know, we, we said the offensive line is this, Let's see if in two weeks it's the same thing because they did this to us last year. But no, it's offense is pretty set in stone at this point, it looks like, especially from a starter standpoint. All right. So that'll wrap up this Thursday Buckeye talk. We'll be back again Friday afternoon in this similar time slot after we watch practice Friday morning, after we talk to people on Friday, later Friday morning. And then we'll record and then we'll get it out to you. And that Friday podcast will take us. Through the weekend, obviously, we'll be back with the market down Monday to start next week. And then I think we'll drive the bus on Tuesday or Wednesday. I think it's about time for that. So, again, if you if you want to be a bus driver, let's get ready. Get your guys that you really believe in for the 2022 football season. Texts 614-350-3315. Website cleveland.com slash OSU. Pod. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and the college football survivor show this week, we ranked all the playoff contenders by how good their running backs are. And that included a very healthy discussion about Ohio state and Travion Henderson. You can find the college football survivor show, wherever you listen to Buckeye talk. Also does Michigan belong in our group of playoff contenders, Ohio state's in there. We had six so far. We talked about do Michigan and North Carolina state deserve to be added to that group. That's me and Shahan J. Haraja. If you've never tried the college football survivor show, we've been doing it for more than a year. We'd love to have you give it a shot for now on this podcast for Nathan Baird and Stephen means I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk.